Hello, and welcome to Everything Acting Podcast. We come to you from the capital of the world, New York City. My name is Darby Worley. I am flying solo this episode because Roz and I have both got very busy holiday schedules, and we just wanted to get some episodes out to you guys ahead of the break so you have some listening material um, to keep you busy or enable you to retreat from your family or whatever um, you use the the podcast for. Uh, You're going to hear this intro from me a couple of times because I'm going to slap it on to um, three or four interviews for you over the next um, few days. So enjoy your holidays, take a break, recharge, connect with your friends and family, and come back ready to rock your auditions in the first week of January. We love you. Thank you for listening. And Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy New Year, all the holidays. Enjoy. Welcome back. You're listening to Everything Acting Podcast. My name is Darby Worley, and I'm now joined by Brian Nunez. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Nunez or Nunez or (laughs) Nunes. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Okay. Brian is a documentary filmmaker. Are you based in Seattle? Is that where where you are? I am now, yeah. I'm originally from Houston, Texas, and uh, made my way up here seven years ago. So I've been here seven years almost. Yeah. Right on. So we have that a couple of things in common. I also um, am originally from Texas and I also was living in Austin when I made a decision to dump my corporate life and pursue a career as an artist. You had the similar experience. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I was, I was, uh, I wouldn't call myself corporate, but I was mm-hmm. in um, IT. So yeah, I was doing information technology um, pretty much full time. And so that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Very similar. So talk about that. Talk about, um, your decision. Like how did you come to decide to make the leap? What was it like for you in the early days? Like tell, tell your story. I, I, it was less of a, like this, um, intellectual decision and more of an emotional one. I, I just reached a point where, I mean, I, I never finished school out of a, like I made this decision that I never wanted to do a job that was going to require a degree. (laughs) <laughs> and I was really adamant about that. So I, I just, you know, was like, all right, I'm going to commit to this and, and didn't, didn't finish college by choice. And, um, so after that, I, I ironically ended up working in, in a job I didn't like. <laughs> so, um, eventually I was like, all right, this is not, you know, I, 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 I I've committed to to a somewhat creative path, my own path, doing something with my life that uh, you know was not corporate or or you know it, I was just doing too much computer stuff, and it was yeah. like why didn't I, you I, like it? What didn't you like about it? Uh, you know, growing up, I did a lot of I work I I did a lot, I was a, a geek. I you know I was using computers before anybody else was really using computers and everyone was like, why are you so into computers? And I was like, they're so cool. And yeah. I would like pull pull them apart and build computers and things like that. I was, I hacked my school one time. Uh, <laughs> so I was a bit of a geek and it, it was the easiest thing for me to do, but um, it just, you know, fixing different things here and there or setting up mail servers and things like that. But I, I just got burnt out and I really just started to feel called, I guess you could say, <clears throat> to a, a broader horizon or a different way of life. And, and, you know, I didn't see myself getting married and getting a house and hunkering down. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I decided to, to kind of commit myself to doing art. I was painting more. Um, and, and I, I found that I really enjoyed kind of simple things, simplicity, like painting in the market while selling art and, and meeting people. I found much more satisfaction in that than getting up and going to work and trying to earn my, you know, $400 for the day or whatever. But then, you know, not really having much of a life to, to, to speak of other, you know, I guess when you're in that kind of situation, you look for a partner and that's kind of where you get your fulfillment. You're like, Oh, okay. So I'm with this person now and now we have babies and, and that's where you, you look for your satisfaction. But it, that just didn't feel right for me. It never fit. So, um, I, I didn't have either, either thing, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a partner and I never had a relationship that lasted longer than about a year. And, um, I was always kind of restless. And, and so I, it's some, I, I guess it's just something about the community. I don't know. It, it, it's hard to explain, um, why I find it so satisfying or, or at the time, you know, just that kind of simplicity of, of wandering. Yeah, I find that interesting because I found for me, I never could sustain a relationship until I gave up my corporate life and started pursuing and doing the things that I really wanted to do. And now I'm married. But so are you still are you still happily single or I wouldn't say happily. You know, there's definitely part of you that uh wants to settle down and plant roots. Um but uh you know, I'm I'm I you know, I yeah, I've had a couple of relationships and and um, nothing that's lasted still. So yeah. it's, I'm still a little bit restless. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about, um, the community in the market and what drew you to make your film, um, for film, find your way, which is about buskers. Um, not, not just in Seattle, but kind of all over the country. Yeah. It's, I focused in the market because this is where I, I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the, I was hoping that all along it would apply to anybody anywhere yeah. um, and, and hoping that it wouldn't feel too local. But- it doesn't at all. And it, and it really feels the movie. I, I, I found the movie tremendously moving. Um, and I oh, think good. it applies to, to way more than just musicians. I think it applies to any creative pursuit, any person who wants to pursue something that's a little bit off the beaten path. But so, so t- what, what made you decide to make the movie? Well, that was the goal. Um, the the thing that that really, may, I mean, so I, I traveled for about two to three years on and off, I, mostly out of a van. I um, sold most of what I had in Houston, bought a van, built it out, and started traveling. And along the way, I met buskers. I myself would do um, chalk art and uh, and drum. You know, when I when I could met a lot of buskers and and I was the guy I was the person who would like give a standing ovation when there was like nobody around it was like you know I, was, I felt really supportive of what what uh, buskers were doing mm-hmm. um so the subjects matter to me you know having that experience was really interesting uh because I painting in public is one of the the simple joys that I find really satisfying for whatever reason and, um, you know, and it struck me, particularly in Colorado, I was on Pearl Street Mall in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And if you know Boulder, Boulder's a, um, a pretty wealthy community, a lot of kind of uh, um, 
yeah, I don't want to be, you know, uh, uh, offensive, but kind of stuck up people. Yeah. Um, it's a really tight, small, tight community. And so people responded generally well um, to what I was doing, but it was a different side of, of society that I'd never seen before because I grew up in a middle-class family. Mm-hmm. So I'm, com- I'm coming from a, a very um, suburban kind of background. You know, I always dreamed of running away with my rucksack like Tom Sawyer, but never did mm-hmm. until I was like 22. <laughs> so um, I, it, th- people's attitudes really pissed me off. And it, I was like, no, 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 there's something, you're missing something here. I'm not some poor sap on the street. Like I'm not some, I don't need sympathy. Yeah. This to me is saving my life. Like you, you don't, you're missing it. You, you, you have to go back to your box and live your life and, and your life might be, you might be very satisfied. I'm, I'm not trying to judge that, but the, the, there was this huge disconnect between the people on the mall and the people inhabiting the mall, Pearl street mall. It's kind of this pedestrian walkway. And there are a lot of kids, gutter punks, street kids, artists, that gravitated toward that area similar in a similar way that uh, Pike Place Market um, people who gravitate toward Pike Place Market and it was this huge disconnect between people inhabiting the space and people um, passing through the space like you know eating or, or shopping or whatever and I I don't know if it's an American thing but I kind of feel like it is mm-hmm. I, I've been I've heard that Europe is very different um, from a lot of buskers that, you know, you, it's not uncommon to be offered dinner or places to stay mm. um, quite frequently and uh, to make more money and be respected more. Um, and I, I feel like it might be a cultural thing where, you know, America, we've grown up on television, right? This is mm. the, the, you know, we've had three generations now that have grown up with television, you know, right? I mean, did, did you, you grew up with television, right? Like yeah. In your, in your house. Of course. And and you know europe is a much older culture and, it, and it's like street performing has been around for thousands of years so but america is we're not used to it you know we have big cars and big freeways and big televisions mm-hmm. and so unless something's coming to you through your car the radio or the television it doesn't seem valid it doesn't seem legitimate and there's that it, it's such a myopic way of viewing the world and it's tragic because it, it it's a huge cultural you're missing out i mean it's it, you, you know it's not like it's not to say that every person on the street you pass is going to enrich your life but not being aware of how you consume culture and not and and how your perspective is shaped by uh, media is 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 a really important thing to understand. Yeah, I love the interview you did with the um, the journalist who arranged that experiment with the famous violinist. And when he talked about, um, I do a lot of comedy, and so I'm I'm yeah. I was, it was very um, resonant for me when he said, when you're at a comedy show, they always say, as seen on Comedy Central, or she <laughs> just got off MTV, whatever, whatever, because they're basically telling the audience, this is a funny person, you should laugh at their work. Exactly. You know, they're legit. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then for that violinist to be people just like that. I, I, I remember when that happened, I remember that story coming yeah. across my Facebook feed or Twitter or whatever. 
And so many people just walk right by him or get, or, or look like um, bored or irritated <laughs> um, by a busker. So say more about that. Yeah, and that was Gene's reason for making the, the, the creating the experiment was he, he noticed that. And he noticed this guy playing Beethoven um, in the subway and on a piano, a keyboard, and it, which is a story that's in the film. Mm-hmm. And he said that he noticed people being really kind of annoyed by him or, or avoiding him like he was a nuisance. And he was like, what, you know, here's this guy playing this incredible music and he's like a nuisance to people. And that was kind of his impetus. Um, and, you know, I think when you see, uh, even in my own footage, you see kids respond to buskers a lot more readily than adults. And, and Joshua, that's what Joshua said, was that uh, even when I was interviewing him, um, he said that kids were like, would light up and they were all about it. And I think with the adults, we just have, well, we have all these filters. And I, I personally think, I guess, if you ask me my, my thesis on the whole topic of creativity, mm-hmm. it's that I think we're all creative beings. And I think we're all secretly terrified of being rejected. And our built-in fears, we project them. And so we, we, there's, there's two types of people. And, and I don't know if it's nurture. I'm sure a lot of it's nurture. I'm sure a lot of it's nature. But there are people that are going to put themselves out there naturally. And there are people that are going to judge others who put themselves out there. And that's why we have movie critics. And that's why we have people that never do anything, but they're, they're highly critical of, of artists. And, you know, it's just, that's, I think that's just how it is. And so I think when you pass someone doing performing on the street with whatever it is, juggling or, or violin playing, Mm-hmm. it's just it's so easy to to shut to like pull back when we see like even when you watch the voice or you watch american idol when you see somebody you think is about to fail or about to embarrass themselves we just shrink yeah <laughs> and because we don't want it to be us yeah you know and but and but when you see someone confident in themselves when we then we rush to support that person it's a very funny thing. And, yeah. and sometimes people, you know, sometimes artists will never flourish because they don't get the support they need. And, and that's tragic, you know. So I, th- I found it interesting when you were making the film, you were stopping people on the street and asking them to give you their thoughts about street performers. And I don't recall anybody saying anything negative. And I'm wondering if that's because the people who would say the negative thing were just in too much of a hurry to give you the time of day. Like, was, what yeah. was that like? Yeah, that was because I told people right off the bat the topic that I wanted to talk about. And so mm-hmm. I think when I told them, you know, will you talk to me about, I want to, I'm asking people about buskers, you know, street performers and people that had no interest in the topic brushed, brushed me off, which I tried to record, which is part of the effect of the, of the, of doing it. Um, and so but like people, nobody, nobody stopped and get, and, and gave you an earful about why street performers are the scourge of society or anything. Right. I, I, like, uh, no, the, there was the, the most, well, actually, there was one interview that it, that's not in the film where the um, it was like, a, a, I think, an Indian family. And uh, the dad, I asked the dad if he'd talk, talk to me. Well, I asked kind of the whole family. and um, But the dad was obviously kind of the focal point of the family or something. So he's like, yeah, I'll talk to you. But his son is translating for me. Okay. 
and he and he stopped to talk to me to tell me about how much of a nuisance they are and like they need to get a job and they need to do all these things differently so he he was like yes this is interesting i'm going to tell i'm going to talk about how i don't like them that was the one interview but generally people the reason they stopped and talked was that they had um positive things to say i guess yeah, I mean, I'm someone who, when like when the old guys, the the quartet starts singing a cappella in Tompkins Square Park, I'm like tears every time. I yeah. find it's just so like lovely and beautiful. And I also think I'm also a huge fan of documentaries because I think that they're an excellent tool for actors to study real human behavior, as opposed to watching films right. where they're saying other people's words. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? I think documentary is is the most powerful art form. I mean, you know, there's I think there's there's one percent or you know maybe ten percent of films of like narrative films that are that really really do their job, the job of the writer, the creator that they really want it to do, and that's not always the fault of anybody other than circumstance. I mean, there there are some films that are that don't quite achieve what they want to because they don't have the money or because they don't have the actors or because the writing's not quite as good. I mean, there are a lot of great narrative films that really achieve their, their goal, but documentary is powerful in a different way because, because like you said, it's real. And so when you can tell a great story using real footage of, of humans being humans and not contrive it too much as the editor, I mean, I, I think that's one of the most powerful mediums, um, simply because like you said, it's almost like studying human behavior yeah. and you walk away. You don't have to, when you walk away, if the editor has done their job and the, the director has done their job, you don't have to, you're not talking to your friends about like, well, if they could have done this better or this better, or like the special effects were kind of weird or like the writing, you know, it's, it's mostly it's, you're analyzing this, the actual reality of the subjects and you know, the story. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is really interesting. And, and I, 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 I try and achieve um, the way I edit. I try and achieve documentary editing. Like as somebody told me, which I took as a huge compliment, that they saw my film at the Houston Film Festival. And they said, you know, they were telling somebody about it. We were at a party. And he was like, yeah, I saw his, his documentary. But it wasn't really like a documentary. It was like a drama. It was like, a, I was like, oh, man, that's a great compliment. Because I, I, I really enjoy taking real footage and telling it in a way where the story feels like a journey. So yeah. I, I, those are my, fa- my favorite um, kind of films. Okay. So I'm going to ask you for some free advice on this topic because I am working on a project right now. I interviewed eight of my family members on the topic of marriage. So on the, so mm. these are, these are people who've been married for 30 to 50 years. And so I have these eight interviews and I don't know how I don't know how to start with putting it into like I'm like should I tell the story of each marriage in four parts or should it be should I go back and find the topics like how do you st- like what's your process and is that something you can teach somebody in like five minutes? <laughs> well, so immediately when you were saying this, you said marriage, you said family members, and yeah. I immediately conjures old vintage footage of people getting married in the forties, fifties and sixties with yeah. some music. I should, I should back up and say, this is all audio only. I didn't do I audio didn't do only. Yeah. Well, so, that's all, all, so it's like, all I'm, the, I'm thinking like a this American life kind of thing is what I want. Uh, is what I want is what I'm shooting for. Yeah. I have no idea what to, how to, how to, what to do with this raw footage or this raw um, audio. 
that's a whole different beast. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I I rely on on visual Pictures. information, but yeah. um, I I would I guess I would start the same place and just take the take the remove the visuals. But I would try and get old old footage of of these of like the actual weddings mm -hmm. if they have it, and then just use the audio from it to, yeah. to, to help tell the story. That's a good idea. I, some of my, I, my parents don't have that because they eloped when they were on their way to go see a movie. Oh my gosh! <laughs> um, those are great stories. But anyway, that I'm we we digress. Yeah. Uh, so, what did you learn um, beyond the artistic condition? What did you learn about the human condition from this project? What are the themes and lessons? Oh boy! You know, uh, the, the human. What I learned, um, I mean, I, the, the, the thing I learned the most about is, um, you know, you, you start out with expecta expectations of, you know, if you put your, put your heart and soul into something and you, you, you spend enough time on it and, you know, get the story you want, um, it, you know, people's attention uh, I really believed starting out that I could grab, you know, millions of people's attention with, with the film just by, you know, like if I got my Joshua Bell interview and I got my famous musician who started on the street interview, um, and then you put it out there, it'll just, you know, people will be like, Oh, this is so great. And it'll just catch on like wildfire. And I think a lot of artists start out like that, that have never done anything before. This is my first feature. I had done some shorts, but never a feature. And even when you're, um, whatever it is, painting or, or comedy or whatever it is, you have these expectations of like, like if, it, like I have a friend who I think could be a stand-up comedian, right? Mm -hmm. Well, she wants to be a musician, but she's hilarious. And I keep trying to encourage her to get on stage. And I think before you do something, I think you have all this fear surrounding the idea of doing it because you, you there's this strange thing we have where if somebody sees us, then everybody sees us. Mm. Like all eyes are on you. Mm -hmm. And when you're on stage, you have that feeling. When you're in front of people talking, you have that feeling. When you're, put, when you're creating a film and putting it out there, you have that feeling like, oh my God, all eyes are on me. And if I can just do this successfully, then you know all of those eyes will love me. And through the process, I, you, know, you learn that... Um, no, it's not everybody's eyes aren't on you. No one really gives a shit, you know, for the most part until something's put in front of them. And that was kind of the premise of the film. And it's interesting now that I'm, and I'm learning it in, you know, in, from my own experience, my own art, because the whole time I was watching these musicians and their art. And um, so it's like, they're the ones putting themselves out there while I'm filming it. And then I'm, you know, in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is going to come together and, and, and that was kind of one of the things they talked about quite a bit is that it's not just about being a talented musician. I mean, I live in New York City where I, I see a talented musician right. every single day yeah. who could have records out there. And then, and, and um, the journalist, I'm forgetting his name, but he said at one point, you know, this band sounds a lot like this band and this one's got a lot of commercial success and this one nobody's ever heard of. So, right. so I think as artists, as creative people, you have to, you have to love just what you're doing. Right. You can't, you, yeah. can't, you can't put a, put a price tag on it. Or, uh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we, it's, it's 
for me, it's been really important to stop measuring success in moments. And I think we do that as artists. We, we wait for these moments after which things will be different or like after which our lives will be changed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That, if, I, if I just do this, I will have made it. And then it's going to be right. sailing from there. Yeah. Right. So much. Yeah. And it's yeah. And learning to look at your life, learning to look at your, you know, your lifetime. You know, it's like mm-hmm. thinking in the next five years, five to 10 years. And that's why, you know, it, particularly at this time in my life, I'm realizing how important family is and how important people are and how much more important they are to whatever moment you think you're working towards. And that, and they're actually the people who help you get to that moment. Um, and the yeah. ones who, who will give a shit when it. When right. It exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's about it. I guess. Oh, I know. I had, I know. I know what I wanted to ask you for your for the one of the major themes of the movie is that everybody defines success differently, and that um, that what the one thing we know for sure is that it's not necessarily measured in dollars. But for you personally, what? How do you define success? Well, I think I think that that is. Um, I think you can only measure success by, by a, a short-term goal. I mean, you can have long-term goals, but success for me with the film was getting my interview with Joshua Bell, which I worked mm-hmm. two years on getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that happened, I mean, I cried. and My girlfriend at the time, it was like we had this moment because I was unbelievable. I mean, that was kind of like my golden goose um, he's, he's a little bit of a lofty figure, even though he's not super well known in the mainstream for, for him, you know, he's known that story is pretty well known, but, mm-hmm. um, as an artist, you know, you say Joshua Bell and most people are like, who's that? But, but for me, it was a huge deal to get that interview and, um, it took me two years to get it, mm. but you know, how did you get it? How did you get it? Uh, well, I, I started, um, so my the um my girlfriend the first relationship i had in seattle um was with a, a television producer i did, we just happened to meet um i was i was um you know renting space out of her garage to build art i mean to build a uh, furniture and i i worked on, as an art director on a few projects with her mm-hmm. and um a roommate of hers in new york actually sold a painting to joshua through an art dealer. So the art dealer got me in touch with Joshua's manager or agent mm-hmm. and our PR person, whatever, whichever one she is. And, and we talked and she, she liked me and um, she liked the project, but Joshua didn't really want to, he just wasn't really interested in talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so this was 2010. So it had just happened. Oh, well, it had happened three years before, but um, he just wasn't interested. And, you know, uh, I, so I was like, I just kind of let go of it. But then I was editing the film and I was in 2012 and I was like, got to a point where I was like, man, I really want to talk about that interview. And I mean, I really want to talk about that, that experiment, that whole thing. I want that to be part of the film because I, I see it as a huge intellectual arc for the film. Mm-hmm. And so I just called, I emailed the Gene who wrote it. And Gene has won, won a couple uh, Pulitzer Prizes. But he still, he got back to me almost immediately. He was like, yeah, sure. Come on over. Yeah, he so, was awesome. He was like my favorite. I he was, he's he was amazing. He is yeah. amazing. 
And uh, so he invited me up to his, over to his place in Washington. So I flew out to Washington, D.C., interviewed him and the guy, that senior curator for the National Gallery of Art, um, Mark Lighthouser. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I thought that would be a hard interview to get. It wasn't at all. And so I interviewed him and Josh, um, Gene and Mark at, in the same weekend. And then once I had those interviews, and then I got the kind of the man on the street thing. That was in D.C., Mm-hmm. And once I had that material, I went back to Joshua's agent and I said, um, look, I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to use Joshua's image because of some fair use laws like, you know, Joshua's impacted culture in a way that was not expected or anticipated by his actions. Therefore, I can use his image. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, you can't. I was like, yes, I can. She's like, wait a second. And so she went back to him and said, look, he's this guy's going to run with the story. Maybe we should, you know. He's got Gene. We're good friends with Gene. Maybe we should consider giving him an interview. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where can people find the film? What's next for it? What, what, what happens now? Well, it's out there. So it's on iTunes, Amazon, and Google. Um, we did a festival run. We, we played at about 12 festivals, including in New York. We played at the CBGB Music and Film Festival, which is only in its third year, but it's the largest mm-hmm. film and music event in the country. Um, we played there. That was a, a good time. Uh, we've won a couple awards. Uh, we got best documentary down in a, a small festival in LA and um, got second place in Houston. And um, so it's, it's, it's done the festival run. It's out there now. And, um, and it's, tell people it's, the website. What's your website? The website is findyourwayfilm.com. And, and now can... go ahead. Yeah, well, now if you search on Google, find your way, we're the first thing that comes up. It used to be American Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. I was, I was very impressed when I searched for your name that you were the first person that came up. I was like, hmm, he knows something about uh, media optimization. <laughs> I don't know. There, there's not that many Brian Nunez's. And the ones yeah. that are out there, um, there's like a wrestler. <laughs> and there's like a, a priest, I think. There's a yeah. priest. Oh, interesting. But, uh, yeah, Brian Nunez is. I, I, I got lucky. I feel, I feel a new documentary coming on, <laughs> all about the Brian Nunezes of the world. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know about that. I wanted, I wanted to do a documentary about how email affects um, our lives. Oh, that's a good one. A that's good a really email good or a bad email. Oh, that's an excellent one. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. And guys, I cannot recommend this movie um, heartily enough. It's really beautiful. And I think that it's just uh, should be required viewing for all artists who are trying to find their way in the world. So thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Darby. It's been awesome.